I'd like to invite you to turn your Bibles to the book of Ephesians tonight, chapter 5. And um, it's amazing sometimes how the songs, the prayers, the scripture, the, what we study all just kind of align together because today we're going to talk about and speak about um, male headship, uh, male headship found in this verse. And as we were singing that um, we are the broken, you are the healer. And I think um, in many of our, in our lives, uh, what it means to be a man, what it means to be a woman is broken. We don't know what it looks like. And sometimes the church hasn't helped with that as well. What is a man? What is a woman? That's the question that uh, it seems like our generation, our culture can't seem to answer. But God has and always speaks clearly. And I believe God's word tonight will be for us as we just study the spiritful husband as a leader. So let's just read the one verse where this verse is found. Ephesians 5. Read Ephesians 5. And let's read from verse 22 to 23. This is the reading of God's word. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Let's pray. Father, we come to you as needy people. We want to echo the song we just sang earlier as loud. Lord, we need thee, especially in this hour, Lord. Help us, Father. Search us, know us, Lord. Help us, as, especially us as men, to truly repent, Lord. Truly humble ourselves before your word. And I pray for women here as well who have a bad experience, a bad understanding of male headship, Lord, that you would restore that even, even this afternoon. And that you would heal our marriages, heal our families, Father, that we might reflect your beautiful grace and your character. Help me as well, Lord. Be merciful to me. Um, and help me, Father, to preach well in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me say a few words today that, will, I, that, I will, that is bound to, to stir up some emotions in many people today. Um, and maybe even in some of you. Headship. Patriarchy, male leadership. Let me ask you a question. How do you feel about those words? Well, I can tell you what our culture feels about them. Right? One word, hatred. Often, everything that's wrong with our society is blamed on the patriarchy, is what we are told. But I want to invite you this afternoon to turn down the volume of the voice of culture and to turn up the volume of the voice of God this afternoon. Because he has designed us, he has made us, he knows us, and his voice, his word is clear, and there's a perfect design for both men and women. Beloved, God has a created order. It is hierarchical, and it is patriarchal. That is God's order. We see that established in creation, and clarified in 1 Corinthians 11 verse 3. Listen to 1 Corinthians 11 verse 3. It says, I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ. The head of a wife is her husband and the head of Christ is God. At creation, here is the order. God over man, man over the women, both man and women over the whole creation. But at the fall, that order was reversed. It was flipped on its head. The serpent tempted Eve, not Adam. And that was intentional. That was not random. 
The serpent wanted to reverse the roles of men and women. So he deceives the wife to take the lead and Adam follows. So now, instead of creation at the bottom, now we have creation at the top. The serpent taking the, the lead, the serpent taking initiative, the woman submitting to the serpent and the man submitting to the woman. And right at the bottom is God against whom they rebelled with the attempt to seize his throne. So our male and femaleness now is broken. We are alienated from God. We are alienated from one another. We are confused about who we are and what we are supposed to do. But the serpent didn't have the final say. Christ did. Christ came to this broken earth. Christ was the perfect man, never sinned, to save us from our sins to restore us back to the Father. He died on the cross to absorb the anger and the wrath of God so that when we repent and trust in Christ and we are forgiven of all our sins, we are now not only saved, but gradually being restored back to our original roles and image. So here's the thing. Christ does not just save us. He doesn't just destroy our female and maleness. He redeems it. He makes it whole again. He doesn't just make us all just human. He makes us more masculine, more feminine as we follow him and as we submit ourselves to his word. And that's why only Christian marriages can rightly reflect our true male and femaleness because only Christians have a savior who has reflected perfect humanity to us. Perfect masculine love and perfect feminine love as he submitted to the Father. Now, our text is crystal clear. Now that we are in Christ, we don't ignore our different roles as men and women. Instead, because we are Christians, now we are to obey these words. Look at verse 22 to 23 again. It says, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the, the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. You see, so we're saved. And now we are restored back to our role. So, and and today, today is specifically for the men. Today is a sermon for the men. And how des- desperately men today need to be restored in our role as leaders, in our role as heads, especially in the church. Now I say that because generally speaking, good men, men who want to love their wives, sacrifice, deny themselves, those type of men need to grow in their leadership. And generally speaking, right, the bad men, the men who don't care about love and sacrificing and denying themselves need to grow in love, but they're great at leading, great at having a mission, great at taking charge. Because that's the sad thing. The reality is good men can be so good at serving, so good at sacrificing themselves that they are too scared to take the lead and so frustrate their wives and the bad men are so good at leading and so bad at loving that they, they, just, they just go ahead no matter who they leave behind and so frustrate their wives. Both of them frustrate women. <laughs> men who don't lead and men who don't love. And those are the two words that, that we need to recapture today as a biblical man. A biblical man is a lover, which we looked at last Sunday, but also a leader. And this is the sad thing. Christian men often... Um, just don't lead because they've been told by the culture 
that men who give clear, loving direction to his family, men who truly do take the lead, are either oppressive or evil. So you could say men are castrated by the culture by saying you shouldn't lead because that's evil. You shouldn't take the charge. You should never, contra- you should never say no to your wife, for example. You cannot do that. But this is the point. We don't just need love and we don't just need leading. We need loving and leading men. And what is the state of the church? If you look at the church today, how are we doing? How does male headship and leadership look like in the church? Well, we hear it in our jokes. I'm the head, but she's the neck. Right, what do we mean? A man only has the leadership role in title, but it's really the wife turning the head wherever she wants to. So he's not really the leader, just in title. We need restoration today because... Women pastors in church is nothing strange. Having women as pastors is nothing strange, and we think it's normal. We don't realize that it's a direct violation of both Scripture and nature. Both Scripture, 1 Timothy 2, and nature, how God has designed us. We need restoration because of our today against the, the war is against the patriarchy, not knowing that the chief patriarch is our Father who is in heaven. So this afternoon we've got some work to do. Some hard work. And I'll first try and just answer a common interpretational objection against male headship in this passage. Secondly, what practical headship looks like. And then thirdly, what are some obstacles men need to overcome to be able to be the heads of their home. So first, here's a common objection, a common interpretational objection why men should not be the head or not lead or not have authority over their wives. Sometimes, some have object that this word head in our passage, doesn't really mean authority over, but rather only source. The husband is the source of his wife, just as Christ is the source of the church. And they get that by really emphasizing the previous verse in verse 21. Just glance back up to verse 21. What does it say? Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. So there, everyone submits to everyone. So the argument goes, a wife should really not submit to her husband because here it says we should submit to one another. No one is the leader, everyone submits. That's the argument. But let me just give you two reasons why that is false. Two reasons why that's a a wrong interpretation of this passage. The context and the consistent teaching of Scripture. The context and the consistent teaching of Scripture. So first, the first argument is the context. The context denies the interpretation that men should submit to women and not women to men because in the very next verse, Paul clarifies what he means by saying submitting to one another. He's speaking of our relationships in our homes and our families and in our workplace because in verse 22, he starts with saying, wives, submit to your own husbands. Look at chapter 6 verse 1. It says, children, obey your parents. Look at chapter 6 verse 5. Bond servants, obey your earthly masters. Do you see the, what's the flow? What's the flow of thought? There's authority and submission. Now, the last two examples, none of us would object that there's real authority, right? Parents have real authority over their children. It's, it's a bad home when the children can command the parents and the, the parents just say, yes, dear, yes, lovey. We all know those families and we want to pull our hair out when, that, when we see that. In the same way, masters and slaves, real authority, 
A master has authority. The master is not to submit to the slave, and the slave is not to lead the master, right? There's authority and submission. So the overall flow of context denies the idea that, that suddenly with marriage, no, then submission doesn't mean that. So that's the first argument. But here's the, for me, just the very, the, the, the strongest argument against this is the consistent teaching of Scripture shows us that men have authority, men should lead, and the wife should submit. So, and this is a basic Scripture interpretation rule, is Scripture interprets Scripture. We don't come to the text and say, we want this text to mean this, so let's get some ideas of how we can change the meaning. No, we say, what does the Bible say about this? And here's the thing, the Bible never says husbands should submit to their wives. Not once. Not one. But we have numeral passages where it says the wife should submit to the husband and that men should not be harsh with their wives and that the men should sacrificially and courageously lead their wives. And we don't have to go further even than Genesis chapter 2 where we see male headship at work. There was a divine order in the way even how God made us. That also wasn't random. If God wanted to establish the absolute equality in roles, now just please hear what I'm saying. I'm not saying that women are inferior to men. I'm speaking about our roles as leaders and wives as uh, submitting to the man. God could have made Adam and Eve at the same time, at the same day, in the same way. That would have just made it super clear, right? But that's not how he does it. He first makes man, gives him a mission, says, work and keep the garden, fill the earth. Now, I can imagine saying to a man, fill the earth. I'm like, but I'm alone, Lord. I need some help here. Okay, I'll make you a helper to help you fill the earth. That's why we need women, right? To do that, a wife, to be clear. <laughs> okay. But also we see Adam naming the animals, Adam naming Eve. And naming something, naming anything as, is, a, is a sign of authority over. If you, ha- if you have the right to name something, that means you have authority over that. God made Eve for Adam. Genesis 2.18, right? The, the classic path. Then God, the Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper. Fit for him. Paul later uses this very concept in 1 Timothy 2 where it's, it shows that women shouldn't be pastors because of malnature, because of our design. Look at 1 Timothy 2.12. It says, Paul says, I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. For Adam was formed first, then Eve. This is not because man is more intelligent than a woman. But why does Paul say he doesn't permit a woman to teach? Or to exercise authority over the man. Well, he tells us in the next verse. Again, simple Bible study rules, right? For why should a wife, a woman not teach or have authority over a, a man? For Adam was formed first. Paul doesn't go to the culture. Paul doesn't go to Ephesus. Paul doesn't go to, he goes to creation. He goes to pre-fall, pre-Genesis 3 to show that this is how God designed us. And here's the argument, right? If this is how we're designed, we function best when we fulfill those rules. You could use a hammer to do some gardening or take out the weeds or try to chop off a tree. You could do that and you might even be successful at that. But it's not what it was designed to do. 
In the same way, if we reverse the roles, it could perhaps work, but it's not going to work in the final sense. We were not designed, women were not designed to have authority over man, and man wasn't designed to submit to his wife. No, this is why we should trust God and follow him. Now, just to be clear, that doesn't mean women should never teach. I do believe God gives even the gift of teaching to women, but then even then the Bible is consistent. Listen to Titus 2, verse 3 to 5. It says, All the women likewise are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach. See, women, all the women are to teach, and so train whom? The younger women. <laughs> so even here the Bible is consistent. And what are they to train their young, the young women to do? To love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind um, and submissive to their own husbands. You see how, just how consistent the Bible is. The Bible doesn't break pattern. So brother, this is what the Bible teaches. God designed men to be the leaders, women to submit and to respect that leadership. But... Equally important, if not even more important than that man should be the head, is what it actually means to be the head. And now let's go to our second point. What does headship mean? What does it look like practically? And here we will only look at six aspects, six aspects of male headship. And we find this really, it's only, you only really need one verse to clarify everything men need to know. And that's verse 23. Just read that again with me. Only this verse is good enough. It says, for the husband is the head of the church, or the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. What a difference those two words make. Even as. So what does that imply? Men, you are not free to choose what headship means for you. You cannot say, well, for me, headship means to sit on the couch and wait for my wife to serve me like a slave. That's for me. That's my type of headship. No, because the text says, even as Christ is the head of the church, we look to Christ. We, he is our example. He is our model. And until your headship doesn't conform to his headship and what that headship looks like, you are not a biblical head. So here's the first point. Headship is patterned after Christ's headship. That's the first aspect. Headship is patterned after Christ's headship. And as the chief goal of Christ's headship, the rest of the verse. Have you noticed? I love that Paul immediately goes on to say what this head did for the church. Just look at the end of verse 23 again. It says, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body and what? Is himself its savior. Isn't that beautiful? The head of the church is the savior of the church. The head of the church died for the church. The head of the church hung on a tree for the church, for his body, in utter shame and condemnation. Now, do you see how that just radically changes what we commonly think of headship? Your headship is not for you. It's not for you. It's not for your convenience. It's not for your comfort. The moment a husband starts demanding to be served in the home in the name of headship, you can say, have you read the passage? Can you read? <laughs> it says, well, in, in respect and in submission, but it says, 
as Christ is the head, right? And how did Christ come? He came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. He didn't come to wear a crown of gold, but a crown of thorns. Our example came and emptied himself, made himself nothing, taking the form of a slave for us. Men, by nature, we are competitive, we are strong, and we are aggressive by nature. That's actually part of our masculinity, not necessarily evil. Any of those three things I've just mentioned. But that, that is part of our masculinity. But the problem is when you use your strength, your aggression, and your violence on your family and not for your family. So when you start twisting that masculinity on top of your wife, on top of your children, that's toxic masculinity. That's when you abuse verbally, emotionally, or even physically. But that's not biblical headship. Biblical headship is using your strength, your, comp- your, your competitiveness, your aggression to stand in between your wife, your children, and the rest of the world and every danger around them, spiritual, emotional, physical. That's what we do with our masculinity. We use it for our wives, not, f- not against them. And secondly, headship means that you as a husband has the final say in all matters in your household. That's just what it means. If Christ is the head, it means he has authority over, he has the final say. In the same way, husbands have the final say of everything that pertains in their, their households. And here I, I want to emphasize this point because we can so emphasize the sacrificial love part that we think that it means this, whatever my wife wants, I must do that. Whatever she desires, I must give her that. Not true. That's not male headship. Adam should have said no to his wife when she gave him the fruit. Abraham should have said no when Sarah suggested Hagar as a possible other way to procure children and so fulfill the promise of God. You see, so headship is not just to say, whatever you want, I'll do that. Sometimes headship means to say no to your wife, to say, we're not going to do that. Now, to be clear, listen to this great quote from Wayne Mack. Your wife's opinions, advice, desires, suggestions, requests, fears, and questions should be given serious consideration. The wife is to be the husband's helper. She is to be his chief advisor, resource person, and consultant. So when you want to make a decision that your wife doesn't want you to make, you are slow to do it. You don't do that just quickly and flippantly. You take her fears into account. You take her needs, her desires into account. But you are the head. You cannot abandon that role and say, okay, then I'm just not going to do anything. No, that's not an option for you. At the end of the day, the decision rests with you. And you have to say, this is what we're going to do. This is how our family is going to go forward. On the flip side, this doesn't mean that when you have spoken to your wife and asked her opinion and she gave counsel and you realize you were wrong and she is right, that you are suddenly not the head if you choose her option instead of yours. That's actually the example of good headship, right? When you realize, I wanted to do this, but your wife gave this brilliant perspective you didn't realize and you say, you know what, I'm wrong, you're right. That's good headship. That's making the best decision. Right, and which often ha- which happens quite often, right? When we think we're doing the right thing, and our wives tell us one, ask us one question, we're like, "Oh yeah, I haven't thought of that." So that's the that's the point: is a, a good head always makes the wisest course of action. 
So don't be so insecure as a man that you just say no to your wife just to prove a point. Don't do that. But don't abandon your role. Thirdly, headship means that the husband takes full responsibility for the state of his home and what happens at home. If the house is in disarray, if the house is chaotic, the husband feels keenly it's his fault. Even if it isn't, if he's not the member that is the reason for that, right? So men don't blame shift. If I just didn't have these two sinful children, right? My house would be so much cleaner, so much neater, okay? If I, man, if my wife just listened better to me or if she just did, did this better to me, no, don't blame shift. Take responsibility. Don't, don't blame other people for the state of your home. You are responsible. Also, this is important. If a decision has been made, you own that decision 100%. So Doug Wilson gave a brilliant example. Imagine a wife asking, his, asking her husband, almost on a daily basis, can we go for a picnic? And the husband says, no, honey, I think it's going to rain today, so I, no, let's, let's not do it. Next day, honey, can we go for a picnic? No, honey, I think it's going to rain today. I don't think we should do it. And imagine that happens every day, and then one day the man just says, okay, let's do it. Let's go. And imagine it rains. And the husband says, you see? Now, what's wrong with that? The moment he said, let's do it, it was his decision, not his wife's decision. The moment he agreed to go on the picnic, he owns that 100%. He doesn't say, you see, I told you. No, listen, that was your decision because you are the head. I hope that makes sense. Fourthly, headship also means you delegate responsibility to your family. Again, here is, I, I do think here is where especially good men struggle. We want to be servants. We want to sacrifice ourselves. But we do that so good that we never delegate. We think it's virtuous to do everything ourselves. I'll do the dishes. I'll do the laundry. I'll mop. I'll, I'll, I'll wipe. I'll, don't worry. Just rest. Let me make a bubble bath for you. Let me. All right. So you, you just go into this mode of, listen, my wife has to do nothing except exist. Now, some seasons, that might be wise and good, but you know your wife. You will know what's good for her or not, right? But again, men, this is so important. Being a good head means you delegate. You say, listen, I need your help. Will you do this? Will you help me with this? Will you take care of that aspect of the home? Will you help me with this? You, you communicate that. You're clear about that. I find 1 Timothy 5.14 very instructive. It says, I would have younger widows marry, bear children, and then this next phrase, manage their households, manage their households and give the adversary no occasion for slaughtering. There's a type of managing of the household which women do and I want to almost say only women can do. I've used this before, right? When I was living alone, I thought the house is beautiful and then <laughs> Deborah moves in and even the smell changed. I'm like, wow, this house, like Deborah just makes everything better. So here's a biblical illustration maybe to clarify this. Women should manage the house like Joseph, and men should manage the, manage the house like Pharaoh. What I mean by that is, how much authority did Joseph have under the authority of Pharaoh? A lot, right? He was in charge of that whole project of saving the world. <laughs> okay, that was, that's quite, that was quite big. But it was under Pharaoh. He was second in command, and that's the similar thing for men and, for men and, and 
and women as well, husbands and wives. You take the final lead, but you delegate much to your wife, especially where she's a boss at certain areas. If she's just good at finance, you say, will you help me with the budget? Will you do the budget for us and help us grow our finances, our wealth? You do that. You see how it works. So the final say is with you. You take full responsibility for the state of your house, but for your house, but you also clearly delegate a lot of responsibility to your wife. Number five, headship means that you lead by example. You lead by example. How did Jesus lead? What did he say to his disciples? Follow me. What does that mean? Look at, how, look at what I do. Look at how I live. Copy my example. What you see I do, now you do. Copy and paste, right? Husbands, this is the primary way you uphold your authority in the home. So if you've, you've been wondering, okay, I have this authority. How do I uphold that authority? And this is the main way, by your example. 1 Timothy 4.12, now this is in another context where Paul talks to Timothy, to a pastor, but he says, he says, let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. So Paul, say, Paul says to Timothy, Timothy, don't let someone despise you for your youth. Uphold your authority in the church. Timothy might say, okay, Paul, how do I, how do I uphold my authority in the church? Okay, here, how's you, here's how you do it. Set the believers an example in speech, in, in, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. Men, that's how you uphold your authority in the home, by your loving authority. Do you see that point? So the husband, because he's the head, should set the example in spiritual matters, in physical matters, practical matters. Your wife should find you on your knees your wife should see you studying the scriptures. And I really believe that because men are the head, they set the spiritual atmosphere of the house, the spiritual climate. I love this quote by J.W. Alexander. He said, There is no member of a household whose individual piety is of such importance to all the rest as the father and the head. Where the head of a family is lukewarm or worldly, he will send the chill through his whole house. Where the head of the home is lukewarm or worldly, he'll send the chill into the rest of the house. I've noticed that even in my own family. The, the seasons where I'm close to the Lord, where I'm praying, where I'm really meditating on Scripture, one day I just walk in, I see Deborah reading the Bible, and I'm like, wow, so amazing. I just see her doing that. I didn't tell her to read the Bible. Didn't, she just does it. And the, moment, the, the, the seasons where I was far from the Lord, where I was lukewarm, where I wasn't praying, where I was substituting real joy in Christ with entertainment and video games and all those things, I could see my wife not really seeking Christ as well. Now, that's not for women. You should still seek Christ whether your husband seeks him or not. But that's just the point I wanted to make is men, it's just so much harder if the man doesn't lead in that, if he's not leading by example. So, men, your example is paramount to being a biblical Christ-like head. And if you don't know where to start, you're like, okay, I just don't know. I'm so overwhelmed about all, all of these things you're saying. Like, where can I start? Start here. Start with just setting an example in your spiritual life. Begin there. And lastly, number six, headship means that you take the initiative in the family. You take the initiative in the family. Again, we look at Christ did he not take the initiative with us? Do we not read that we love him? Why? Because he first loved us. 
Did Jesus not tell his disciples, you did not choose me, I chose you and appointed you to go and bear much fruit? So husbands, if we are to be the the head, even as Christ is the head of the church, that means we have to take the initiative in our families. Now, the simple way, if you want to test who is the real leader in this family, in this relationship, ask this simple question. Who in the relationship says more the following words? Let us. Is it the husband or the wife? That's the leader. Let us. Let us do this. Let us go there. Let us. To be the head means to go ahead. That's what it means. To be the head means to go ahead. To say, let us pray together. Let us read the Bible. Let us host people over for, for fellowship. Let us. Now, that doesn't mean a wife can never do that, right? Often men need their wife's initiation to, tell, to, to confront him sometimes, to say, hey, we haven't been doing um, family worship, or hey, we, where are we at this? Why aren't we doing this anymore? And that, they, there's a proper way to do that. There's a proper way to do that, but that's not how it's supposed to be, right? When it's ideal, the man should be a front, at the front. The man should say, let us do this. Let us go there. Let us plan this thing. So that's the point. And, but now let's close our time with obstacles. And here I was just thinking about what makes it super difficult for men. And I want to say, just to be super, super honest with everybody, like this area of, of my life, of my marriage, is incredibly hard. Like it is the hardest thing for me to do is to lead my wife and lead my families. And I believe it's some of these obstacles that I'm going to share with you. And some of them will not be thus say of the Lord, but some of them are just biblical. And there's five common obstacles, I believe, that makes our job as men difficult. And it's this. Number one, laziness. Laziness. I think that's probably the chief culprit for why men don't lead. Think of your home like a garden. What happens to a garden when you just leave it? I'm just going to watch the sun and the rain do its job, do its work. Well, thorns, thistles, weeds quickly grow, smothers the beautiful flowers, overtakes plants, right? So you, you have to constantly work. You have to constantly take out the weeds so that it makes room and space for the flowers to grow, for it to flourish. And that is what will happen to your family. If you just, so men, listen, this is super scary. If you just leave your family, you are actively destroying your family. Proverbs 24, verse 30, it says, I passed by the field of a sluggard, by the vineyard of a man lacking sense. And behold, it was all overgrown with thorns. The ground was covered with nettles, and its stone wall was broken down. Then I saw and considered it. I looked and perceived instruction, a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. And poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. So therefore, it really is only the lazy husband that waits for his family to so deteriorate before he does something. So in other words, we shouldn't do preventive headship. Or, or not preventive, I mean um, restorative headship. In other words, only when things break, then we say, okay, let's do something about this. You should do preventive headship and leadership. You should constantly fight to love your wife and lead your family, even if nothing is wrong. That's the best time to do it. But let's go to the ant, Proverbs 6 verse 6, to learn what we should do. Go to the ant, O sluggard. All the students, listen as well, okay? Consider her ways and be wise. Without having any chief, officer or ruler, 
She prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in harvest. The wise ant doesn't need somebody to tell it to work. It just does it. But also, the ant, say, the text says, they prepare their food in summer. In other words, they work ahead for the winter months, for the dry months. They prepare early so that when the tough times come, the seasons come, they, they have everything they need. So men, that's the thing. Work ahead. Plan ahead. How are you discipling your wife? How are you discipling your kids? Are your kids growing in Bible knowledge every year? Or do you have that plan in your mind? I want my child to at least know the Bible by age five, or at least the main, the main storyline of, of the Bible, right? Single men, this is important for you too. If you're single and not married, are you a hard worker? Right? You can practice these things even when you're single. Is the home you're living in right now chaotic or in order? Right? Think of your bedroom, if you have a vision of your bedroom, if you have a vision of your desk, if you're sitting at the desk. Right? Maybe before you want to manage a family, why don't you manage your, your room or manage your desk? Get that in order. So that's the first thing is, is lazy. And secondly is pornography. Pornography. God has made men to build, to rule, to, to exercise dominion over the world with a helper to aid him in that mission. But what pornography does is it takes the good sexual desires of a man, which is holy and pure and good, and it drains it. It empties it. You squander your strength as a man. Instead of giving it to one woman, you give it to multiple women's. Proverbs 31, it's a very strange verse, but listen to this verse. Proverbs 31, verse 2, it says, What are you doing, my son? What are you doing, son of my womb? What are you doing, son of my vows? Do not give your strength to women, your ways to those who destroy kings. So notice, not a woman, singular, what does it say? Give your strength to women, plural. Giving your strength in sexual immorality to many women is how you drain your masculine drive. That is what porn does. That's, like, it's, that's what sleeping around does. It takes what is that good, masculine, holy energy and it wastes it. It pacifies men. It makes them impotent. It makes them weak. It makes them lazy. It makes them content not to be a man. Not to grow up and fight for a woman. Fight for her heart so that he can be married. And have a legitimate area where he can satisfy his sexual desires. Now, this is where the surprising advice of, one, of Paul comes in. Listen to 1 Corinthians 7 verse 9. Paul says, if they cannot exercise self-control, they should marry. For it is better to marry than to burn with passion. Now, if I was writing that verse, I would have written this. If they cannot exercise self-control, be filled with the Holy Spirit and then receive the fruit of self-control, you sinner. That's what I would have written. Paul doesn't say that. He says, you know what? You have, you're burning. And I, I really believe that's why men generally have a stronger sex drive than women. So that they can keep on pursuing, keep on running after that one woman for the rest of his life. A fountain. Proverbs 5 says she's, she's a fountain that should satisfy you over and over and over again. So instead of squandering your strength, pursue marriage. Pursue that. Pursue that. Use that energy to 
channel it to your wife. So for single men that's waiting, say, well, I don't have a wife. How do I channel this energy and this, well, start, start looking around. Start driving to Joburg. Start, you know, let that energy make you active, okay? Do some wife hunting. I don't know. Yeah, so, but, but that almost sounds like witch hunting, so I'm not going to, let's scratch that idea. All right, but here's the third one is addictions, addictions. Addictions has a similar effect in, that porn has. Again, men were created to rule, to build, to exercise dominion. And instead of doing that with fruitfulness in their lives, they waste it in useless pursuits, useless things. Take video game addiction as an example. Generally speaking, men love video games. Women play it because of the men. It's always the, girl, the, the, the guy taught the girlfriend how to play or something like that, right? But it's not normal when a woman just likes to play that, right? But, but just, I hope you get my point. Generally speaking, men love video games. And I believe it's because of our masculinity. We want to build. We want to conquer. We want to rule. And instead of doing that in the real world, we do that in a virtual world where it does nothing. Now, I do not mean to say that all video games are evil, in fact, I'm planning a men's conference around a video game. No, I'm just joking that. But, but I do believe there's, there's a good God-glorifying place for video games. But it's a matter of priorities. It's a matter when you're so addicted to games or to, to Facebook or to social media or to entertainment that you don't use your energy to build your family, to lead your family. So instead of planning... How can I conquer that difficult level which nobody can conquer? Conquer your belly fat. Okay, before, you, before you raise an army to defeat this magical enemy, raise your children to be warriors for Christ. Raise your children as an army for the king of kings. Right? Before you bring order out of chaos in a virtual world, bring order in your garden. Bring, bring order at your desk. Start in the real world, and if you can conquer the level and your belly fat, go for it, right? Then you can do both, okay? But that's the point, is don't waste your energy. Don't waste your creativity. Don't waste your masculine drive on that. Number four, a bad marriage. Sometimes it really isn't the man's fault. Now, I know that's the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit right there, right? But... No, but listen, Proverbs give the warning of a bad, of a bad wife. Proverbs give us this warning. Sometimes, men, you, you've chosen poorly, you've married poorly, and therefore you struggle to be the head. Listen to these Proverbs. It says, Proverbs 12, verse 4. An excellent wife, so women, this is what you should be striving for, right? Is, to, is a crown of her husband, but she who brings shame is like rottenness in his bones. Can you imagine that feeling? Proverbs 21, verse 9. It is better to live in a corner of the housetop than in a house shed with a quarrelsome wife. So here's my best advice for single people that are getting desperate. Listen, it's better to be single for the rest of your life than to marry badly. That is better. Better to be, there's another proverb that says, better, it's better to live in the desert. Any of you lived in the desert? It's, I don't think it's comfortable enjoyable, fruitful, right? No, but it's better 
to be single than to marry hastily and badly. And obviously this applies for both men and women. This is not just for men. Men choose wisely. Think. Women choose wisely. Is this the kind of man that I want to be my head? But let's say you are in a bad marriage. Let's say you've, you've chosen badly. You are in a bad marriage. What do you do then? Well, then you just obey these verses by faith. Husbands, you should still love your wife as Christ loved the church. And even then, you have a greater opportunity to show grace. Christ didn't love us because we were good. He loved us because he loved us. So love believes all things. Love hopes all things. Love endures all things. If you're stuck in a bad marriage, endure and stay married. And here's the last one is fatherlessness. Fatherlessness. Many, many men are bad heads because they've never seen a good one. They've never seen it. Our fathers have failed us, but we don't always think that our fathers had fathers that failed them. And so it's actually just a vicious cycle of even if it's not physical fatherlessness, sometimes it's just emotional fatherlessness. Men need other men to be men. We need another man to show us the ropes, to teach us how to do it. 1 Corinthians 4 verse 15 to 16 says, For though you have countless guides, listen to this. I think this is what men try to do who don't have a father. They just accumulate guides. They read the books. They watch the YouTube channels. They just, okay, give me knowledge. I just need knowledge, knowledge. But what is, what is lacking? Yet you do not have many fathers. I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. I urge you then, be imitators of me. Many men turn to Jordan Peterson, what it means to be a man. How does masculinity look like? Because they, they can't turn to their fathers. They can't turn to men in the church. We, we have fatherlessness. And so we have many guides, but we don't have many fathers. And what's the difference between a guide and a father is the rest of the verse says, be imitators of me. A father is someone that can say, come, let me show you. Let me teach you. Imitate me. Look at what I do. Look at how I talk to my wife. Look at how I teach my children the Bible. Look at how I discipline. Now copy me. Go, find a wife. Do the same thing. So many men are stuck or in a marriage and they just have, they don't know what to do because nobody has taught them. Now what can you do if that's you? If you are, if you have felt this fail, if you feel like you're just set up for failure. Well, the answer is what Paul just said here. He says, I became your father in Christ Jesus. God gives us the church. And in the church, by God's grace, our masculinity is restored back to what it's supposed to look like to be leaders and lovers, not either or. And so we just need to say, hey man, can I just shadow you? Can I just come to you? Can I just, I just want to be discipled by another man. Teach me. So, and this is the good news for many of you men that have been struggling with this, is listen, that vicious cycle of fatherlessness can end with you. It can stop. You don't have to repeat it. So be a man. Stand up. Stop blaming your boss. Stop even blaming your fatherlessness. Stand up 
and make a plan. Look around you. Look for a man you can shadow, you can follow, you can say, come, I want to just be discipled by you. And Lord willing, we'll start a men's ministry soon in this church where that will be a great opportunity for us as men to come together and just disciple one another as well. But beloved, there's a sense where if you think of your father, there's not one father who has not failed us. There's not one. I mean, so bad are we, Jesus says, when he talks about parents, he says, they who are evil. <laughs> That's what he calls parents. Compliment. <laughs> because why? All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All of us. Jesus himself called our, our, our fathers evil because of our sin. And there's only one man who's never failed you. There's only one man who cannot fail you, even in the future. And that man is the Lord Jesus. He's the man of men. He's the king of kings. He says, come, follow me. Again, if you don't know where to start, just follow him. That's what he calls all of you to do right now. He says, repent of your sins. Leave your sins behind. Come, follow me. I will forgive you. I will restore you. I will teach you. Trust me. Amen. Let's pray. I want to give a moment just of silent prayer. Let's just use this time to pray and reflect and let's speak to our God. Let's use this time. Father, we come to you and we confess our brokenness as men and women. We acknowledge, Lord, that we have also sinned, rebelled, fallen short and exchanged the glory of God for the, for the images of creation and rather worshipping the creation rather than worshipping God. And Father, thank you that you loved us. Thank you that you sent your Son to show us what a perfect life looks like. But thank you that that perfect life is credited to our account, that we are righteous as he is righteous because we are cleansed by his blood. We are adopted into your family, and that is our identity. We are sons, adopted sons into your family. Oh, Father, we pray that you would heal our broken masculinity and broken femininity. Help, especially as we've been looking at headship, Father, help the men in this church and in this, this meeting, Lord, to, to truly trust you and not rely on their own understanding. Lord, we confess this is difficult. This is, this is impossible, but we thank you that by your spirit we can, we can obey you. So, Father, thank you for your grace. Thank you for your love. And help us to follow Jesus and trust him in Jesus' name. Amen.